Good morning. Good morning. My name is Jeff Frank. I'm one of the elders here and our senior pastor. Um, if you're visiting with us, you might wonder where he is. Um, he's been on sabbatical this summer, June, July, and August. So we're really kind of coming down the home stretch here this morning. I'm continuing in the series, the I Am series next week. Mike is continuing, and that'll be the final message in the I Am series. I'm the true vine. And then I'm pretty sure the plan is for Colin to be with us on Labor Day. So uh, that'll be great to have him back. Um, We've been praying and hoping he and Christine have had a wonderful summer. So this morning's message is about the bread of life. And the um, main grain that's used in bread is what? What what would you guess most bread's made out of? Wheat. Wheat. So I have a little, uh, I have a few facts here from the National Association of Wheat Growers. And you guys are going to have a little trivia here. So um, the first question is, how many kernels, individual kernels of wheat do you think are in a bushel? Now, if you're like me, you can kind of have a vague idea what a bushel is, but a bushel is roughly eight gallons. How many individual kernels of wheat, according to the National Association of Wheat Growers, do you think are in a bushel of wheat? Huh? Huh? Come on, let me hear something. 16 million, that's a little on the high side, but you have the the right number of, uh, what's that, Uh, six zeros. It's one million, one million kernels of wheat in a bushel. Okay, Kansas, apparently they're normally the largest wheat-producing state next to, what would you guess after Kansas? This is like North Dakota, North Dakota. So Kansas produces enough wheat each year, this is Kansas alone, all the wheat in Kansas, produces enough wheat each year to make how many loaves of bread? How many loaves of bread? This is like, I think they're talking about like a one and a half pound, your typical store-bought loaf of bread. Huh? It's not million, it's north of million. 36 billion, with a B, loaves of bread, enough to feed everyone in the world over 6 billion people for about two weeks. All right, so that's our, that's our wheat uh, trivia for this morning. Um, so let, let me open us up in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We just pray that you will help us to learn from you and about you this morning, even from a passage that's very familiar to many of us. Please help me and speak through me in your name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to, if you want to take your Bible or or your phone and scroll, we're going to be in John chapter 6, verse 35. We're actually going to read in just a moment, verse 25 through verse 40. So just to set a little context here, there's a lot going on in chapter 6. In the very first part of chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 men with um, a few loaves and fishes. And interestingly, the people at that time, they're like, this is the prophet. This is the prophet. And they want to take him by force and make him king. But he withdraws to to a mountain. He withdraws to a remote area. He uh, sends his disciples on the boat, on the one boat, back across the sea, Sea of Galilee or the lake. He sends them across. And then during the night, guess what Jesus does? He walks on water, catches up with them, gets in the boat, and boom, they're on the other side of the sea or lake. 
And then the next morning, all these thousands of people that have been fed all this food, they're like, hey, where's Jesus? Where is he? They go looking for him. They they can't find him. Eventually, there's some boats going around. They find him back over by Capernaum, I think, on the other side of the sea. They find him. And that's where we're going to pick it up in John uh, chapter 6, verses 25 through 40. I'm going to read that again. We're going to focus on verse 35, but it's good to, it's good to get the context of, of the dialogue here. Um, so verse 25, when, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Uh oh, man, major malfunction. I just tapped my phone, the stopwatch, it keeps me on track. Uh oh. Let's see, stopwatch. Oh, it's still going. It's still going. Okay. Major malfunction there. Okay. All right. Let's reel it back in. Okay. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, But my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us his bread always. Here's our verse. Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So we see here that the people, they're looking for him because he provided food. Uh, He provided, yeah, food for their physical hunger, but he's going to use that to tie in some spiritual truths. Jesus answered, you know, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And Jesus is going to use this theme of bread to teach them how to have eternal life and how to learn about himself. So in uh, and along with verse uh, 35, where we see that he says, I am the bread of life, there are several other places in this passage where he refers to himself in some form or fashion related to bread. We read in verse 32, he says, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. 
And in verse 33, he says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then later on, we didn't read this far in John 6, but later on in verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus, in all these different ways, he's saying, I am the source of life. I am the source of eternal life. Can you think of elsewhere where Jesus makes a similar claim about being life or being the life or being the source of life? Can you think? Hopefully you can think back to Justin's sermon last week. I am the way and the truth and the life. And then the week prior to that, actually Justin preached on that also in John 11 where he said, I am the resurrection and the life. So really we see here that um, Jesus is claiming, he's making the assertion, he's stating, I am the source of life, of eternal life. There, there are not many ways to receive that life. There's one way, and it's through Jesus. So let's pause here and talk a little bit about the ramifications of this kind of simple statement. What's he stating here? You know, that he's the true bread that came down from heaven. Eternal life only comes uh, from God through him. That's quite a statement. He's offering life, but think about it. His, his listeners, and we too here, we're alive, right? We're alive. We're not dead. We're alive physically. Why would he offer life, eternal life, to people who are alive? Well, the, the reason is that we are dead spiritually apart from Christ. We're separated from God because of our sin. And we actually deserve judgment. Romans 5.12 puts it this way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So we all have this problem. Apart from Christ, we're all dead spiritually. We're all separated from God. And the, we can't make ourselves alive. No matter what we do, we can't make ourselves alive spiritually. Um, we cannot erase or reverse the effects of sin. And no matter how hard we try, whether we're sincere religious people, whether we come to church all the time, or we're sincere Muslims or Jews or Hindus or Buddhists or whatever, that won't change that fact. We can't make ourselves alive. Or whether we just strive to be good, well, whatever it is. We, a lot of us know that um, sin requires a payment. Think of, think of what the Bible teaches. Romans 6.23 says, the wages, the payment for sin is what? It's death. It's death. And think about that going all the way back to the garden. I mean, that was what God said to Adam and Eve. You can eat of any fruit of any tree except this one, and the day you eat of it, you will, you will surely die. And also in Ezekiel, uh, through the prophet Ezekiel, God said, the soul who sins shall die. So that's not such great news. But the good news is, like Jesus is, is offering this eternal life. He came to give his life to die in our place, to rise from the dead, defeating sin and death. 
It's interesting, Jesus even uses payment language in one, in one, uh, at one point. He says, uh, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, a payment. He, gave, he came, he know, that's what he said. That's my purpose. I came to give my life as a payment for many. Okay. So we see that Jesus is the one and only source of eternal life. And until we come to Jesus, we do not have eternal life. We're, we're spiritually dead. But Jesus goes on to say in his phrase here, uh, in, in this verse, he says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever uh, believes in me shall never thirst. So he calls us to come to him. He's the object of our faith. Jesus is the object of our faith. All that he is, that's what we're to come to and believe in. Not just, we can't like dissect Jesus and say, well, I like this kind of one aspect of him. I like what he teaches over here, but I really don't like who he is and what he claims to be over, over there. No, we have, to, we have to come to the whole Jesus, the, the Savior, Lord, God, Creator, the whole Jesus. We turn to Him and to no one else to receive eternal life. And to do that, we must humble ourselves and recognize we have a need. That's hard for us to do a lot of times, isn't it? It's hard for us to admit we have a need or, or recognize we have a need. And we have a problem, and this is hard too, we have a problem we can't solve. And this um, offer that Jesus makes, this call that he makes, we, we, can, we also call that the gospel. It can be an offense, right? It can be an offense to our sense of self-goodness. We, we typically normally think like, hey, I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, before I became a Christian, it's kind of what I thought the first time when I was 18 or 19 and somebody shared the gospel with me. It was easy to kind of brush it aside. Hey, I'm, I'm, like, I'm a pretty nice guy. You know, I'm, I'm not that bad. So... It, it can be an offense to our sense of self-goodness, and it can be a sen- an offense to our sense, it's kind of a tongue twister, of self-sufficiency. Like, I can solve it. I can do it. Just give me the task list. Tell me what I need to do. I can do it. No, that's not the case. We have to believe in Jesus. We have to come to him. And that kind of means we recognize him as the only way to have life and the only way to be reconciled to God. We, uh, coming to him, believing in him, it involves recognizing and acknowledging he is God. We acknowledge our sin and our need for forgiveness and reconciliation. And then we turn from, kind of what repenting is, we turn from our sin, we turn to Jesus. We come to him. And notice he says twice, he uses a wonderful word in here twice. What, what do you think that is? What's the word, a wonderful word he uses here twice? Whoever, whoever, isn't that wonderful? Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me. So it goes out to all, no matter our race, our nationality, our education, our background, what we've done in the past, all those things. It's a whoever. And then there's another wonderful and beautiful uh, promise of Jesus just a couple verses later, which, which we read in our passage where Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Think about that. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What a beautiful and gracious invitation. Think about it. We don't earn it. We don't strive for it. We don't make ourselves somehow worthy of it. 
of receiving eternal life. In fact, think back in that dialogue with the people once they found him. Think about that dialogue where we read. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. How wonderful is that? He gives it. He, the offer goes out and he's glad and willing and ready to give that eternal life, that forgiveness to restore our souls. So we see the only way to experience eternal life is to come to Jesus, to believe in Jesus. Let's, let's talk a minute about this idea of um, our souls hungering and thirsting and about eternal life. How would you, like in your own mind, how would you define eternal life? Well, what, what would you say eternal life is? Well, one, well, one way we could uh, define that is it's life from God without end. Life from God. It's not our own current like physical life going on and on for forever and ever. It's life from God without end. And the Bible teaches us that when we believe in Jesus, we are born again. We're, we're born anew spiritually. That's in like John 3. And then in 1 Corinthians 5.17 teaches us that we're made new. Everyone in Christ is a new creation. We're made new. We are regenerated. We're given that spiritual life which never ends. In Titus 3, I, this is, I love this passage, it says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Regenerated, that's a wonderful term. And just in the dictionary, regenerated is defined as formed or created again. We're recreated, we're given spiritual life, the life of God. And not only that, uh, the Bible teaches us that we're made alive with Christ. I love that. We're made alive with him. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And also in Colossians, it says we're, we're made, uh, God made us alive together with him. We're alive with him. We're given this new life, this spiritual life, and we're alive together with him. And it goes on even further than that. Uh, to, to me, this is just uh, amazing. We're not only made alive with Christ, but Christ becomes our very life. And you should probably be asking, like, well, Jeff, wow, where do you get that from? Christ becomes our very life. Are you sure about that? Well, in Colossians 3, this is where, where I get it from here and a number of other places. But this is a beautiful truth. In Colossians 3, Paul says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, think about that, Christ, who is your life. Can you think of anywhere else it says that in Scripture, that Christ is our, is our life? Can you think of anywhere else? Think of Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but 
Christ lives in me. Think about the Apostle Paul also in, in Philippians. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I used to think, I don't know if I literally like just um, thought it all out rationally, but I think I'd always sort of brush that verse aside. It's like, yeah, you're the Apostle Paul. Look at you. You're in prison. You're like rejoicing. You're sharing the gospel. You're doing all these wonderful things. You're so Christ-like. That might all be true, but it doesn't take away from the fact that if we are in Christ, he is our life. He's, he's my life. He's my life. He's your life if you've trusted in Christ. So we're made alive with Christ. He is our life, our life. And another way to put this is we share in the life of Christ. We share in the life of Christ. He's living within us. We go from, think about it, wow, how amazing this short, uh, this short uh, verse of Jesus, I'm the bread of life, you know, whoever comes to me, uh, Whoever, whoever uh, comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That short phrase, just think of all that it involves with receiving eternal life. We go from being dead to being made alive spiritually. We're made new. We're reborn. We're reborn spiritually. We share in the very life of Christ. This is the eternal life that Christ offers. Happens every time. That's why I bring water up here. This is the eternal life that uh, Christ offers. It satisfies our souls. That's what satisfies our souls. It's this eternal life. Don't go past that. Don't just brush it aside that we're so familiar with that phrase, eternal life. It's um, in this new life, in this relationship with Christ, he himself satisfies our soul. He himself, we're joined with him, we're linked with him. He satisfies our souls. We experience his love, his acceptance, his care, his affirmation. Think about it. We are in Christ and he is in us. And we're made complete. Colossians says all the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell in Christ. You can't put any more, if it's all the fullness, you can't put any more deity in Christ. He's fully God, fully deity. And then it goes on to say, and we are made complete. We're made full in him. So some implications from this is we can see striving for God's approval. We can see striving for God's acceptance. We can rest in him. We don't have to earn his love, earn his favor. We're in Christ. Okay, so uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about kind of what, what I phrase as we're kind of in this in-between time, right? We've received eternal life, but it's not complete yet. We're, we're going to have new bodies. We're going to um, one day bear the image of, of uh, God himself. We are saved, like presently, if we trust Christ, but our salvation's not yet complete. Like Paul said in Philippians, you know, I'm, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Like we're adopted, but our adoption's not fully complete. So we, we could go on and on with, with a lot of these things. Some theologians call, that, call this time the, the already, but not yet time. Um, let's see. Okay. So, um, yeah, so, so we kind of covered that. We live in this in-between state. Jesus has started this glorious work of 
reversing the effects of the fall and death and making all things new. But one day it'll be complete. So, um, yeah, so for, for me, let me share just briefly like a little bit about myself. I grew up in a family of, uh, I grew up in a broken home. My parents were separated when I was really young, like second grade. Uh, back in the days in the 1960s, a long time ago, there weren't many um, like single moms. I was raised, my brother and I were raised pretty much by a single mom. We didn't, didn't go to church, didn't read the Bible, had no influence like that at all. And I think you know, because of some of the dynamics in my family and my own brokenness and sin, I grew up with this without realizing it at the time. I grew up with this very a strong sense of not measuring up, not belonging, not feeling accepted. So when I was um, 19, to make a long story short, like a bunch of amazing circumstances kind of happened. And I came to trust in Christ between my first and second year in college. And a lot was new. A lot was changed. I mean, I, I sensed like God was in me. I could see a lot had changed right, right off the bat. And, and as I continued to follow him, things changed. But, you know, that intrinsic sense of not measuring up, that was, that was not one of the things that just went, went away. Like some of us can, can testify some things just kind of go away. We're like healed of some things. And other things just kind of plague us. And that's kind of plagued me so much of my life. And God's helped me, you know, along the way, learn some things. Um, oops. That was I accidentally hit like a timer or something before when I fumbled around. You guys might have wished that was the end, but it's not the end. It's not the end. Uh, so, uh, so, so, so for me, um, like that still plagued me, that sense. It's just there. So the things I want to talk a little bit about, like, you know, that's something that, that's hard for me. You know, it's something I have to intentionally work at, like satisfying my soul in Christ. And for you, it may be different, but in the here and now, we, we all need to be uh, working at satisfying our souls in Christ, having that hunger, that thirst satisfied in Christ. So I, wanna, I want us to uh, walk through a few passages, and I kind of have the way I look at this is, how do we satisfy our soul, like in the here and now, is we take in and we walk in. We take in, we take in all these amazing truths about who we are in Christ, who He is, our relationship with Him. We take that in, we live with that mindset, we, we walk in the truth of it, we renew our minds, and then we walk, we walk in those truths, we live it out, we live out this life of Christ. So let's talk about the take-in a little bit. We take in these glorious truths of who we are and what we have as a result of being joined to, or often you might hear the phrase, united to Christ. We have this union with Christ. You might hear some people um, use that, that phrase. And God's Word is full of wonderful truths by which we can feed our souls. I want us to walk through um, just a couple here. We'll do it together. We'll see like what this process can look like. This is something I'm learning. In some ways, I feel like you know, I've been a Christian. I, I became a Christian when I was 19. I'm, uh, that was 43 years ago. So I'll save you the math. I'm 62 years old, and I've been uh, striving. You know, I've had my ups and downs, but striving to walk with God, you know, all, all those years. And in some ways, I feel like I'm just learning to walk with God. I'm just learning these amazing truths. So maybe we can walk through it together. You can learn with me. 
So Galatians 2.20, a a verse that's uh, familiar to a lot of us. Galatians 2.20, we're going to walk through this a little bit. We're going to feed our souls on a very familiar verse. We're going to try to. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So let's walk through this a little bit. I have been crucified with Christ. Like, what in the world does that mean? I don't have any nail holes or anything in in my wrist. What does that mean? I've been crucified with Christ. What do you guys think? What's that mean? I've been crucified with Christ. Well, uh, in Romans 6, uh, really elaborates on just what that does mean. In Romans 6, we're not going to read all that, but in Romans 6, if you go back and read it yourself, you'll see it, it says that we have been united with him in his death. Because we're joined to Christ, as, as we've read about earlier, um, we've been, the scripture says that we've been united with him in his death. And it says our old self, our old person, the pre-Christ person, was crucified with him. It says we died with Christ. So through believing in Jesus, we're joined to him, and that includes being linked with his death. Our old self, our old sinful, corrupted self has been dealt with by Christ. Sin no longer has power or dominion over us. That's what it says right in Romans 6. We know very well that there's the presence of sin. We know we're not, sin, we're not completely eradicated yet. We're not completely free from sin yet. But it no longer has that dominion, that power over us. So we need to feed our souls on that truth. We need to walk in that reality. We need to see ourselves in this truth that sin no longer has dominion over us, over me. I can choose. It means I can make a choice. I don't have to go uh, fall for the temptation. It no longer has power over me. So then it goes on to say, Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So not only is our old self, that sinful self, dealt with, but Christ, by the indwelling Holy Spirit, lives in us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In Colossians, it says, the, Paul's talking about, it says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ in you. So it's no longer us alone. We don't live this Christian life alone. We don't simply have our old self dealt with. We now have Christ dwelling within us. We're linked to, we're joined to Christ, not only in his death, but in his life. So this, again, I need to personalize this. I need to remember this. I need to have this mindset. I need to remind myself of this truth. This is what's true about us. We may not feel it. We may not feel that that old man's dead. We may not feel that Christ is living within us. But nonetheless, this is what Scripture is saying is true about us. So I need to personalize this. I'm joined to Christ. He lives in me. That's what's true about me. That's what's true about you if you've trusted in Christ. And then he goes on to say, And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
So Paul, he expresses this commitment to live by faith. Uh, I live by faith. Well, that's great, but look at, and that's a wonderful thing, but look at what it's connected with. It's not just, I'm going to live by faith. You know, it's not that. It says, I'm going to live by faith in the Son of God who what? Loved me and gave himself for me. Friend, can you pause for a moment? Think about that. Let that truth sink in. Christ loved you and gave himself for you. I know those words are so familiar. I know they can just roll right past me, but we've got to personalize that. We've got to uh, understand the significance of that, that Christ loved you and gave himself for you. So think of the whole package. We're crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Think about it's Christ who loved you and gave himself for you. How personal is that? How beautiful is that? How powerful is that? I'm telling you, you think about that every night when you lay your head down on the pillow. You think about that in the morning when you, when you get up. It'll change the way you live. That's a money-back guarantee. It's going to change the way you live. You think about that. You remind yourself during the day and the stresses, the trials, the challenges, the hurts, the hard things we're called to do, that Christ loved me and gave himself for me. He lives in me. He's with me. I'm in him. We're in Christ. You're in Christ. Okay, so... um, Let's see. We, have, we still have, have a few minutes. So I'd like to uh, do one more brief passage, just like another kind of appetizer uh, of a passage that's full of rich, wonderful truths. It's Ephesians chapter 1. I just want to look at the first couple verses. I want to combine it with what we just read. You'll see. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And the, the passage just goes on and on from there. So many amazing, rich things. I just want to focus on this amazing truth. Are you ready for this? The Father chose you before the foundation of the time. That's the truth. That's what Scripture is saying is true about you. It's true from the Father. The Father chose you before the foundation of the world in love. And he predestined you and me to be adopted as a son or daughter. So think about this as one Bible teacher I recently listened to who did a whole teaching series on this union with Christ. He pointed out, you know, with, since God in love chose us before the foundation of the world, we're anchored in the eternal heart of God. Think about that. We're anchored in the heart of God, the eternal heart of God. It says before the foundation of the world, and we're loved with an everlasting love. So to to put some of this together, the Father and the Son, think about the Father had a plan. Before the foundation, the Father had a plan. He chose you. He wanted to adopt you. But there was a problem. Remember our sin, our fallen nature. So there, there was a plan, but there was a problem. 
And the Son in love gave himself for you. Think about that. The Father had a plan from eternity, and the Son implemented that plan. He executed the plan in love. So combined together, the Father chose us and in love predestined us to be adopted. And the Son in love laid down his life, gave himself for you. That is powerful. That will feed your souls. That will feed our souls in this divisive, all the crazy things going on in us, around us. Those truths will feed our souls. So we don't stop there. We don't just take in, right? We walk in. We don't, but we need to take in to walk in, don't we? We need to take in. We need to feed our souls. Then we live it out. We live it out day by day with this framework, this mindset that I'm loved by Christ. I'm joined to Christ. He lives in me. And when he calls us to obey him in those hard areas, that's what will carry us through. We take steps of faith knowing he's living within me. We may not feel it. We may feel very inadequate. But we take those steps of faith knowing he's living within us. Like Paul said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we, and, and you, you can read in Scripture like in Ephesians chapter 5, or so in Colossians 3, we, we put off, we put off that old, we put off the old man, our old tendencies. We consciously put off the old. For example, we, we put off self-centeredness. My struggle with that, self-centeredness, complaining, those are just a couple examples. We put that off and we, and we replace that with thankfulness and gratitude and serving others with Christ dwelling in us. We remind ourselves through the day, Christ is my life. We take steps of obedience. And we also, since we've experienced this eternal life from the bread of life, how should we relate to our lost friends and neighbors? We should look at them with compassion and take steps toward them to introduce them to the bread of life that can satisfy the hunger and thirst in their souls. They don't know. They they, we don't know before Christ. We know there's something, we'd like something better, we'd like something different, but we, we don't really identify like, oh, I have a hunger in my soul that it's because I'm dead spiritually. They, they need help. You know, God, God will use us to help them. So the scripture is full of glorious truths that's food for our soul. It's kind of like there's this well, this table laid out, set for us with wonderful food, delicious food, satisfying food. But we can't just walk by it and be satisfied. We need to sit down and eat from it. We need to feed ourselves, feed ourselves on these truths, on his word. He calls out to us, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never thirst, and whoever believes in me shall never hunger. Have you recognized your need to be reconciled to God? And in humility, have you trusted Christ? Have you received eternal life from him, that life that will satisfy your soul? For those of us who have, by the grace of God, received that eternal life from Christ, are you feeding your soul on the riches you have in Christ? Are you walking with an awareness that he's your life? He's dealt with your old sinful nature. He loved you and gave himself for you. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, these truths are truly amazing. You are truly amazing. We need your help to even begin to let these truths sink down into the depths of our heart and mind. 
And we know it's a process, Lord. We know over time you show us more and more. That's one thing that's so beautiful and wonderful. Your riches never get old. We can never completely mine them or take them all in. Will you help us, Lord, and and work in us? Help us wherever we are. If we need to trust you for the very first time, will you help us to do that, to humbly come to you and receive your eternal life? And for those who have received that life, help us, Lord, daily to learn to feed our souls on you. We thank you in your name. Amen.